0: You, ladies and gentlemen, have attended the Last Call Podcast with Ray Rout. It is episode number two, October the 26th. Let's get things rolling here. Let's have some fun. Let's talk a little bit of football. Football, yeah. Let's start out here with the NFL News Blitz. Matthew Washington says that the Houston Texans are not expected to trade Brandon Cooks or Laramie Tunsil before the trade deadline. Dan Orzlewski is saying that, yes, the Chiefs can make the playoffs, but they have to start running the ball versus too high shell consistently. Stop the carelessness with the football. Stop the awful offensive penalties and volume. Stop playing so much man coverage. You're not good at it. Someone on D, get close to the quarterback. Field Yates is saying that Alvin Kamara in the Saints' first five games had 15 catches for 113 yards. Alvin Kamara last night 10 catches for 128 yards, and he also became the first player in over two years with 20 plus rushes and 10 plus catches in a game. Dominant effort. NFL trade rumors are saying that the Dolphins have signed safety Shredrick Redwine off the Panthers practice squad. And Matt Scheiman is saying that the Packers will be without all of these players for Thursday night's game against the undefeated Cardinals. Listen to this. All-pro wide receiver Devontae Adams. All-pro left tackle David Bakatari. All-pro cornerback Jair Alexander. All-pro offensive linebacker Desarius Smith. Wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Outside linebacker Preston Smith. Center Josh Myers Cornerback Kevin King, those Packers are in tough. Edward Agro says that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have the number one total EPA as a quarterback-wide receiver duo so far this season and am now wondering if NFL teams will be more proactive in pairing successful college teammates together. Jameson Hensley, the Ravens, says the Ravens have designated defensive end Derek Wolf to return off injured reserve. Wolf will practice today. He has been dealing with a back injury since August. NFL trade rumor says that the Seahawks' safety Marquise Blair has a fractured kneecap. The Bleacher Report is saying that Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin denies that he'd leave Pittsburgh for the open USC football job, saying, That's a joke to me. I've got one of the best jobs in professional sports. There's no booster with a big enough blank check. Next, NFL Next Gen Stats is the Bears rookie quarterback Justin Fields has been sacked 14.4% of his dropbacks this season, the only quarterback over 10%. Since Fields took over as a starter in Week 3, he has had 20.9% of a chance of being pressured three seconds after the snap, the highest pressure probability in the NFL. Jeff Howe says a former Patriot safety Patrick Chung was arrested yesterday and charged with assault and battery on a family household member and vandalized property he'll be arraigned today in Quincy. And Lawrence Owens says that I was high on Pittman at the end of last season when 90% of NFL fans were saying that he was not a number one receiver. I'd say I expected him to make the jump this year, and I think that Michael Pittman Jr. is proving me right. All right, really, really excited to always go through that blitz there and just hear about all the different things happening around the NFL. Hope that everybody's doing well and good today on this beautiful day. Thank you, everybody who's tuning in, listening to the podcast. You guys are absolutely fantastic. I appreciate you all so much. As I just go through this little thing, I'm about to get into Ray's useless rant here in just a second. Uh, before I do, though, I got to let you know, I got a guest coming on tonight. Yes, my man, Mr. Lawrence Owen will be joining me at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. For those of you who are listening to this podcast now, you don't care what time he's showing up because, well, damn it. He's coming in at a <laughs> he's coming in right now. So, uh, listen, I'm really excited to have Lawrence and we're going to get into Let's use this rant for a second, but what a day. What about Patrick Chung, man? Like, I cannot believe that Patrick Chung pulled that crap, man. Like, my man, my dude, what is wrong with you? Wasn't it a couple years ago that he got nailed doing something too? Sorry, guys, I'm just logging into my thing here. Anybody can hear me typing. Like, wasn't it like he got nailed with cocaine a couple of years ago, right? Not happy. Not happy about Patrick Chung doing that, man. What a day. It is raining like hell here today. I got a headache because of this rain. I mean, that should be Ray's useless rant altogether. Just upset about the rain. But here's this. I saw this tweet today. It came from McGarvin uh, L. And he said, some team is going to trade the farm for Deshaun Watson and take an absolute beating in PR. But then Watson will play a few games and everybody will forget about it until Watson ends up on the exempt list at, at the worst possible time. And the team takes another PR beating. Of course, the fans of said team will cry foul, missing the point of why he's on the exempt list and the gravity of his accusations. And they'll predictably and, well, disingenuously ask for proof because all women are gold-digging liars and Deshaun would never do that. The NFL's lack of urgency, re-Watson's allegations, will be another black mark on Goodell era, which has been marred by slow-footed responses, overreactive punishments, and the lack of proactivity. Every controversy ends the same. Literally, everyone mad as hell at the NFL. And I think my man nailed it right on the head there. Because that's the way I always come across it. Like People always just end up mad at the NFL. They always end up mad at Roger Goodell. They always end up mad at... Basically, everybody who has a say in the NFL, and the Deshaun Watson thing is interesting, right? I read a thing the other day. Why hasn't Deshaun Watson been? Uh, why hasn't Deshaun Watson been put on the commissioner's exempt list yet? Because they've had no reason to put him on there. That's why. They've had no reason because he has decided to sit out and he hasn't played, and because of that, well, here we are. Sitting here playing this game of ridiculousness because Roger Goodell was like, well, we'll just wait. But the dude is a baller. The dude is wanted across the NFL. And I just don't get it. I don't get Goodell's logic here. I don't get why you would... Want to just not get ahead of this? Because you know there's going to be groups out there they are going to be all over you. So I don't know, man. Roger, what are you doing, buddy? You got to get this together here. You got to get your together. I don't know. Let's go through our stories for the night. I'm going to look at the AFC East here. Well, the New England Patriots came out pretty explosive, I would say, on Sunday against the New York Jets. And Karen Geregen of the Boston Herald says that Mac Jones says it was time for the Patriots' offense to flip the switch in the red zone. And man, did they flip it. I think they went 6-for-6 in the red zone. Looked absolutely phenomenal. Here's what Gregion said. She said the Patriots hit it out of the park in the red zone against the Jets, converting all of their six opportunities in the money area. We knew we weren't great in the red zone, so we wanted to do better, Mac Jones said during his weekly appearance on WEEI's Melroney and Farah show. You can't force it. I just think we played the plays, did what we were supposed to do, and that's how it works. Jones threw for two scores in the red area, hitting Brandon Bolden for 15 yards and out on Hunter Henry for one, while Damien Harris and J.J. Taylor also got in the end zone twice each with runs down the goal line. And I think if you're a New England Patriots fan, that's exactly what you've been hoping for. You've been hoping for for the Patriots to finally turn things around, not just in the red zone, just offensively in general, right? How often have we heard about that, right? The Patriots offense just can't get it done. Well, the fact of the matter is they got it done over the weekend. Now, staying in the AFC East and going to Buffalo, Matthew Johnson of Bills Wire says that with Knox, Dawson Knox out, Gabriel Davis could be the answer to the Bills' problems. He wrote, He's behind Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, and Emmanuel Sanders. However, with the recent injury to tight end Dawson Knox, Davis should be an uptick in usage in the near future. But based on his performance last year, why did his snap count fall so far? Last season, Davis stepped in for an injured John Brown in a big way, catching 35 passes for 599 yards and 7 touchdowns. That's an average of 17.1 yards per reception, which was the fourth highest amongst wide receivers in the NFL. If Davis performs well in the near future, he could also be the key to the Bills solving a big problem the team has had this year. A known strong offense in the NFL, which Pro Football Focus recently named the third best in the entire league, Buffalo still has its issues. And obviously losing Dawson Knox was big for the Bills. But, yeah, if Gabriel Davis can step up, because you have to assume now they're going to go to more spread formation and not just have the tight, because they were going, what, three wide receivers and one tight end. You have to assume at this point they're going to be making that switch and they're going to be going to four wide receivers more often. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Now, believe it or not, the Dallas Cowboys are actually going to get better. Like, you think about this offense, you think there's no way that this offense could get better. But, damn, yeah, they are going to get better. It's almost maddening that they're going to get better. But Alicia Della La Torre, a fan wrote that the Cowboys' offense is about to get even better after the latest Michael Gallup update. The scariest thing about the Cowboys' offense in 2021 is how they averaged 34.2 points per game despite missing one of their top weapons. Going forward, quarterback Dak Prescott could have another dangerous receiver to target as Michael Gallup returns from injury. Gallup won't come in and take over for Lamb or Cooper as the main men in the passing attack. He'll just make their lives easier by attracting the attention of the defense as another pass catcher to account for with Gallup back in the picture. The Cowboys will give opposing defenses even more problems than they already have. No one in the NFL has scored more points in the league this year. Dallas solves the fifth in passing yards and third in passing touchdowns. And I think the thought of Dallas getting even better is one of the scariest things to think about. Like I would not want to be an NFC East opponent. I wouldn't want to be any opponent of the Dallas Cowboys this year. So, why don't we go over to Philadelphia, see what's going on with the Eagles? Because they made a trade with the Jets yesterday for Joe Flacco. And Dave Zangro of NBC Sports Philadelphia wrote that the Eagles trade Flacco, and Minshew is promoted to backup. The Eagles on Monday traded backup quarterback Joe Flacco to the New York Jets, which means Gardner Minshew is now the Eagles' new number two. Quote, we feel really good about Gardner being our number two, head coach Nick Serrani said. The conditional six-round pick brings back the pick the Eagles gave up in the Minshew deal in August. That was also a conditional six-rounder. Now, I don't think that there's anything that's going to happen this year that's going to put Gardner Minshew in a situation where he's going to get a start. I mean, I think we just have to accept that. It's not going to happen. However... I think that there is a very good possibility that the Jets are going to be better with Joe Flacco, obviously. And Minshew, I don't know. Is that the guy you really want going up against Jalen Hurts? Or don't you want that real veteran presence that you had in Joe Flacco? I don't know if the Ravens are going to be, I don't, I mean, I don't know if the Eagles are going to be happy with this move at the end of the day. So the Ravens just keep getting more Hurts. Kevin Ostreiser of Ravens Wire wrote, Ravens offensive lineman Patrick McCary reportedly dealing with a high ankle sprain. The Baltimore Ravens have had injuries decimate their team over the course of 2021. That didn't change in week seven. As offensive lineman Patrick McCary went down in Baltimore's game against the Cincinnati Bengals with an ankle injury. On Monday, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reported that McCary suffered a high ankle sprain, which could be tricky to recover from. The team has already seen all-pro Ronnie Stanley be ruled out for the rest of the year as he underwent ankle surgery, as well as Tyree Phillips and Ben Cleveland have stints on the injured reserve as well. Macari could be landing on injured reserve while he recovers. And at which point can Baltimore just not recover? And I think that's a question that really needs to be asked. And I mean, the Ravens, man, they got to get it going. I know that they they went on a couple-game winning streak and then they lost, but they got a tough Bengals team right behind them. Chris Rawlings from Bengals Wire wrote that the Bengals' resurgent defense has already passed last year's sack total. Here's what he said. The Cincinnati Bengals' defense has 19 sacks through seven games to start the 2021 season. It's an impressive number because it's good for a top-five slot on the league-wide leaderboard right now. But it's even more impressive because it's more than the team managed over a full 16-game season game season last year. The Bengals already have 67 pressures this year too. A year ago, that number was only 114 by season's end. New arrival, Trey Hendrickson has six and a half sacks over uh, seven appearances and Hubbard has four. Underrated free agent signings, J.B. Hill and Larry Obajambi have three and two and a half respectively. Kirk Cousins is one of those players that you just don't know how to rank as a player. You have no idea how what people think about him. And some people call him overpaid. Some people call him just about that. No quarterback, especially young one, wants to be comp- compared to Kirk Cousins. And Jack White of the Vikings Wire wrote that Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins was named the 11th best quarterback in the NFL. The Vikings quarterback has 1,769 passing yards, 13 touchdowns, and 2 interceptions. Cousins is making plays, and the team is winning games because of him. However, CBS Sports' Cody Benjamin did not have Cousins in his top 10 as a recent quarterback power ranking. Benjamin did have praise for the Vikings quarterback, though. Cousins ranked behind Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow, which I don't think is entirely fair. Burrow has more passing yards and a touchdown, but Cousins has fewer interceptions and a higher PFF grade. In my opinion, Cousins is the better quarterback, but Burroughs' number exceeds Cousins in certain areas due to the Bengals' aggressive play calling. Now, if you go over to Chicago, they're having a lot of problems. And Alyssa Balberry of the Bears Wire wrote that Matt Forte slams the Bears for being unprepared and outcoached. Woo, here's what she wrote. The Bears were humiliated by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-3 in front of most of the country. Chicago has become a laughingstock of the NFL, Former Bears running back Matt Forte is the latest to criticize the organization for three bad patterns that he's noticed since his time in Chicago. The first pattern is how the Bears are outmatched as a whole when it comes to talent, only on, only on the offensive line. The second pattern, and something the Bears fans are familiar with, how most first round picks don't usually pan out, whether it's because of injury or because they're not good. The third pattern is a lack of continuity with the players, coaches, and general managers. Forte called the Bears unprepared, outcoached, and embarrassed in those losses. And how about those Indianapolis Colts? After what looked like just to be an absolute dismal start for the season. After what looked like was just going to be a terrible outing. Suddenly, Carson Wentz is bringing this team back. And the Associated Press wrote that rejuvenated Wentz has Colts offense running in high gear. What does that mean? It said clearly Wentz has found a comfort zone after missing most of training camp because of a left foot surgery, missing several more days of practice after going on the reserve slash COVID-19 list before the opener, and then spraining both ankles in a week two loss of the Los Angeles Rams. Wentz doesn't care about stats or critics because... He's too focused on proving that he's back to being a confident, complete player. India's has won three of four and needs to protect him on the field this weekend against the Tennessee Titans to go back into the AFC South connection. Getting Hilton back would help, but if the defense can't hold Derrick Henry in check, the Colts might hit 500 for the first time this season. Speaking of those Tennessee Titans, Terry McCormick of the Titans Insider wrote that the Titans shift focus to their AFC rival Colts. And this is really kind of the division on the line this weekend. The Titans have major business on Sunday in Indianapolis when they visit the Colts with a chance to basically settle the division for 2021. If the Titans, who defeated Indy at home back on September 26 at Nissan Stadium, can get the season sweep over the Colts, they would not not only have a three-game lead, but essentially a four-game edge because of the head-to-head matchup in the first tiebreaker. Coach Mike Vrabel, in his Monday press conference, said that the Titans can carry over some confidence from their sweep of Buffalo and Kansas City, but that it's about where the carryover stops. Momentum isn't something that just shows back up on Sunday or whatever, whenever you play. That's built through the week, that's built through preparation. You know, a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in a situation where they're really trying to prove that they're the best team in the NFL. They are the defending Super Bowl champions. They are the team that everybody is chasing. But they've been dealing with a lot of injuries. But they seem to be getting healthy at the right moment. Because Luke Asterlin is saying that Bruce Arians is hopeful that Rob Gronkowski and Levante David can return for Week 8. He wrote... The Bucks head coach Bruce Arians told the media Monday that he's hopeful tight end Rob Gronkowski and linebacker Levante David could get back in the lineup for Week 8. Arians added that cornerback Richard Sherman's return is also a possibility. Gronkowski suffered a rib injury in Tampa Bay's Week 3 loss to the Los Angeles Rams and hasn't played since. David has missed the last two games, suffering a leg injury in the Bucks' week five win over the Miami Dolphins. And Sherman suffered a hamstring injury on the first drive of last week's victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. And when we look at, uh, we keep going on in the division here. John Slagler said that the Saints wire, of Saints wire, said that Marcus Davenport is the PFF's most effective pass rusher. The one caveat on is he's the most efficient, he's the most effective pass rusher when he's healthy. He said, there aren't many players with Marcus Davenport's healthy tools. Oh, fuck. There aren't many players with Marcus Davenport's physical tools, a combination of size and speed that extremely difficult to defend when employed correctly. And the New Orleans Saints, former first-round pick, is finally living up to that hype. He's picked up a sack and eight total pressures for a 12.9 PRP score, which is higher than Miles Garrett, 12.6, Max Crosby at 11.4, and Jadavian Clowney at 11.3. And, well, everyone else. And there's the problem right there. Davenport has totaled as many pass rush snaps as he should be getting per per game. Durability remains to be a major concern with him. Hopefully, he's finally turning a corner and can be the impact player for the front Saints have been counting on. The entire complexion of their defensive line has changed with him in the game, and his availability will be critical as Jordan continues to decline. For now, all fans can do is take encouragement from this strong performance so far and hope that he's finally got a good health streak. Marcus Mosher of the Raiders Wire said that Raiders cornerback Nate Hobbs doesn't allow a catch in Week 7. How excited do you have to be if you're a Raiders fan that your cornerback didn't allow a catch? It doesn't matter if he wasn't targeted. The fact of the matter is, nobody wants to test him. Marcus wrote, according to Pro Football Focus, Hobbs didn't allow a single catch in week seven against the Eagles, and he wasn't even targeted. The site currently has Hobbs ranked as the eighth highest graded rookie this season. He is PFF's highest rated defensive back through seven games, as he hasn't allowed a touchdown yet this season. Hobbs is a fantastic c- catcher, which is vital to the from the slot. And while he has yet to record an interception, he just doesn't allow many big plays. With Casey Hayward playing as well as he has, the Raiders have to be feeling really good about their secondary. And if we go down to their divisional rivals, the L.A. Chargers, Gambino Borquez of the Chargers says that Bill Belichick on Justin Herbert, he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks for a long time. And I mean, Justin Herbert's one of those kids. I think a lot of people doubted him when he first came out. There was a lot of experts that didn't believe he could be a top quarterback. And, I mean, really, when you look at that draft class, he outside of Joe Burrow, I would say, he's really pushing that he was the best pick out of that draft. I mean, the two of them, Burrow and uh, Herbert, are the best. Here's what Gavino wrote. He said, The last time the Chargers played the Patriots, head coach Bill Belichick got the better of quarterback Justin Herbert. Despite the dismal output, Herbert put together one of the most prolific rookie seasons, shattering multiple records in route to winning the prestigious award. Heading into this weekend's bout between the Los Angeles Angeles and New Englands, Belichick talked about what he sees from Herbert since the last time the two teams met, highlighting his size, field vision, arm strength, and athleticism. Quote, I have a ton of respect for him. I think he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks in this league for a long time to come. And we're getting into our final story here today. And this is going to set up to then bring in our guest who will be with us in just a couple of minutes. But this may be no surprise to anybody, but Russell Wilson is the winning factor on the Seattle Seahawks. Liz Matthews of the Seahawks Wire wrote The Seattle Seahawks lost their game three, all or lost. (laughs) Let me start over. The Seattle Seahawks lost their last three games, all in primetime, and all three contests had one very important similarity no Russell Wilson. Seattle's starting quarterback has been sidelined for the last three weeks after injuring his finger on his throwing hand in Thursday's night's loss to the Rams. Backup quarterback Geno Smith has been giving it all with his last three outings, but it's becoming more and more obvious just what Seattle needs to find a way to win. And obviously, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that Russell Wilson, of all people, would be the most important player on Seattle. I mean, I don't think anybody in this entire world would be even considering that, that it could be anybody else on that team. I, I think it was a Pete Carroll who came out today and he said something along the lines of, like, he wouldn't have been there so long if it wasn't for Russell Wilson. Well, duh. It's Russell Wilson, man. And our last story here, Jess Roots of the Cards Wire wrote that wide receiver Andy Isabella is garnering interest near the trade deadline. According to the NFL's network's Ian Rappaport, the Cardinals have a player on their roster receiving interest from around the league approaching the deadline. It's not someone who plays a significant role. It's a third-year receiver, Andy Isabella. He's been a disappointment so far in his Cardinals career, but he does have the traits of another team would like. He's an elite straight-line speed. He can play inside and out. He can help in the return game and now offers some help on special teams. Since the Cardinals have no plans for Isabella moving forward, using him to potentially recoup one of those day three picks would seem like a smart move. And I think at the end of the day, Isabella has needed a change for a long, 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 long time. He's needed to go somewhere. He's needed to be with somebody. He's needed to be with a team that could use him. I don't think the Cardinals were ever a good pick for Andy Isabella. I'm not saying that his career is going to be saved if he leaves and goes somewhere else, but you could see him get a little bit of an uptake. Almost reminds me a little bit of a Philip Dorsett, who's never blew up on the scene, but when he went to New England, he had success with them, had success in the playoffs. He was put in the right position to be successful. All right, so for those of you listening to the podcast, this is where I call it a day. For those of you who are watching uh, this on Patreon and eventually on YouTube, we are going to go to our guest. To the podcast crowd, thank you for coming into The Last Call with Ray Rout. I will be back tomorrow with all of your football news. So make sure that you download the podcast. Everybody else, stay tuned. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? from climate pledge arena in seattle washington the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet wherever you get your pods wherever you watch your pods and on the crier media network i'm matt Kundel, host of the sound off podcast the show about podcast and broadcast